Hello again. Welcome back to the Worthy C podcast. It's April 22nd, 2023. This is Chip Stewart. And, um, and during this episode, I'd like to discuss with you the criticality of repentance when we preach the gospel message. And uh, the reason why I want to cover this is I've heard um, in many, many venues, many times, uh, pastors, preachers, evangelists, call people to Christ, but rarely do they ever call on people to repent as part of that. And upon my reading of scripture, I find that kind of bizarre. Um, it's as if they're, they're softening the gospel message. Um, instead, I, I will generally hear things such as you know, make a decision for Christ or, or something to that effect. That's just the, the one version, the one form that I'm decided to, to comment on. But when I hear something like make a decision for Christ, well, for me, what does that mean exactly? What are they trying to say? It, 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 it's like accepting the gospel is a rational decision and you're trying to determine, will Christ fit into my life? Um, it sounds kind of like maybe somebody's trying to sell you a car, you know, make a decision to buy this car. Um, or, or maybe it's, um, making the right decision for the answer to an exam question or, you know, potentially, uh, you know, sounds something like RSVPing for a, a, a social event. Um, it kind of sounds like, you know, make a decision just to add something else to your life. And it certainly lacks urgency because when you hear repent, it's, it has an urgency associated with it. And here it's just, you know, when you kind of get around to it, make a decision for Christ. But the gospel message, it's not a calculation. It's a realization. A realization of who we are and, and what we've done. And I'll, I'll go into that Um and it is urgent, and the Bible tells us to repent. And you'll see several examples of evangelists who, who in the Bible, who, who did preach repentance. So the first thing I want to um, talk about is the unsaved state of mankind. So in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, it describes it like this. And this is very important because it, it it shows you before you're saved the kind of state that you are in. So it says here, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And further on in, in Romans, in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, it tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So you you see a description here of the fallen state of man, how we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and how we love the darkness rather than the light. So how does God get us out of this? It said in John um, 3, 16, he sent his son. And then when Jesus came to earth, he was preceded by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came preaching repentance. Repentance of this, the sins that we have committed. So here, let's take a look at um, in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, and then uh, later on, 76 through 79, which talks about John the Baptist's purpose and mission. So this first section is when uh, the angel Gabriel tells John's father, Zechariah, about the son uh, that he is going to have. And he describes to Zechariah, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people for, for the Lord a people prepared. And then starting in verse 76, when Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied the following, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunshine the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So it's talking about John the Baptist who will be preparing the way of the Lord. He will give knowledge of the salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, making ready for the Lord a people prepared, preparing their hearts to receive the Lord. In Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1, John the Baptist preaches repentance. This is very important. He preaches repentance. This is to prepare people to receive the Lord. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, 
but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we see here, he's preparing the way of the Lord by proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and the people were coming to him confessing their sins. If we look further ahead in, in the book of Acts, chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it talks about how John the Baptist was preparing the people and their hearts for the Messiah. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So this underscores the fact that John the Baptist preceded Jesus, teaching, preaching repentance in preparation for his arrival. And then uh, further on in Mark chapter 1, starting verse 14, this is where we see Jesus also preaching repentance. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here you see that the Bible isn't saying that John or Jesus say anything like, you know, make a decision for Christ or anything like that. It is a command, a command to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus, receive Jesus as Lord. If we go back to the book of Acts, we'll see other calls for repentance from the apostles. So in Acts chapter 2, starting verse 36, here we are, uh, we have Peter's sermon at Pentecost speaking to, to Jews. So starting in verse 36, it says, Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Also uh, in Acts, in chapter 3, starting in verse 17, this is where as Peter's at Solomon's portico, speaking again to the Jews. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So that's Peter preaching repentance. Moving forward to Acts chapter 17, Paul at the Areopagus is speaking to the Greeks and he also preaches repentance. So Paul, 
standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And then Paul, summarizing his actions before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, says the following, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that, by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So as you see here in these four passages, both Peter and Paul preached repentance, and it was to both the Jews and the Greeks or the Gentiles. So why do we hear this so prominently now? Or what, actually, I should ask the question, why do we not hear this prominently now when the gospel is preached? Why is this conspicuously left out? It's, it's very odd to me. I, I just don't understand it. Um, so what is repentance? Repentance, as defined in Webster's 1828 Dictionary, is real penitence, sorrow or deep contrition for sin as an offense and dishonor to God, a violation of his holy law, and the basis in gratitude towards a being of infinite benevolence. This is called evangelical repentance and is accompanied and followed by amendment of life. It also says repentance is a change of mind or a conversion from sin to God. So repentance is the, the, the sorrow, the contrition for the sin we've, we've committed against a holy God. And that you're changing your mind and, and you are, you're seeing your sin the way God sees it. So I believe that when, when someone repents, there are several things that are implied in the act of repenting. And the first, I would say, is you acknowledge God as a creator. And as such, he rule, rules, rules over all of it. And also you're turning to God as the ultimate authority. You know, the authority is not you, it's not Satan or anything else in all of creation. 
you are now acknowledging that God is the ultimate authority. You are also acknowledging God as the lawgiver. As creator, he's the only one who ultimately determines what is right and what is wrong. And you, you, are, you are basically admitting, you're confessing that you have broken his law, you are a sinner, and you're turning to him and asking for forgiveness. You acknowledge God as the judge. He judges righteously, and you are under that judgment. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting verse 22, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So you're acknowledging God as judge. You know that he is going to judge you. You also acknowledge God as holy, meaning he is perfect in his edicts and judgments, judgments and you have sinned against his, his holy nature. You are also acknowledging that you have sinned against that authority and a holy God and that you are part of the rebellion. This is something that is a common theme throughout the Bible. You are in a state of rebellion against God. And when you repent, you are asking for forgiveness of that and turning to God and throwing yourself upon his mercy for his forgiveness. And the mercy that he gives you, which is exemplified by his son, who paid the price, the penalty for our sins on the cross. But this rebellion that I'm talking about, it, it, like I said, it's a common theme. It starts with, with Satan and a third of the angels rebelling against God. You look at Nimrod and the Tower of Babel rebelling against God. Um, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21 talks about the rebellion of the Israelites. Um, it, it's in the, um, in the sacrifices. And it says here, He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. I believe this is the uh, the scapegoat here it's talking about. And then also, you can't help but, um, but see the symbolism of the rebel Bar- uh, Barabbas, who is released by Pilate at, uh, on Passover in Mark chapter 15, verse 7. And also the two rebels on the crosses to the left and right of Christ on the cross. And, and we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we going to be that, that rebel you know, who mocks Christ, or are we going to be that rebel who admits our guilt and seeks Christ's mercy? And we have to also understand that we are one of the sons of disobedience before we repent and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 talk about this, and it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We're under that condemnation, as John 3 verse 18 says. And repent, when we repent, we surrender. We must surrender to God. So like I said, we're throwing ourselves upon his mercy when we repent. We acknowledge, yes, we sin against you, and we are at your mercy. One example of crying out for mercy, you could uh, look to Psalm one, uh, 116, where it says here, 
I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, For here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So that's why he was here. You, you repent, and Christ Jesus was there to save you, to save sinners, those who repent and accept him as Lord and Savior. That was his mission. And when you do this, you're accepting, as I said, him as Lord. So you accept his lordship and you become his servant. And it talks about servant back in being uh, the Lord's servant in uh, Psalm 116. So that's accepting as Lord. And then you accept the sacrifice that the Father freely provided to atone for those sins that you're repenting of. And that's Jesus Christ as the Savior. In Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then you become a child of God. John chapter 1, starting at verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you see here the chain with repentance. You repent of your sins. You fall upon the mercies of God who has provided the sacrifice to pay for those sins. You accept Jesus Christ as Lord and he's also your savior because he paid for those sins. And now you become a child of God. So the question then becomes, what if there is an absence of repentance? What if someone doesn't repent um, when they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and, and Savior? 
Um, I think some things to think about. Um, I think there's risk of, of a few things, but it, it, it runs the risk of not coming into alignment with God and the way he sees sin by not repenting, understanding that you are part of the sons of disobedience in a state of rebellion and that you need to repent of those sins, that sinful lifestyle uh, that you lived in. Uh, it could potentially call into question whether uh, the person sees themselves as a sinner against the Holy God at all. Uh, it could call into question the motivation for accepting Jesus. Um, was it just as Savior to escape the fires of hell with no acceptance of his lordship? Um, you know, like a, a lucky rabbit's foot or something like that. That, oh yeah, I've got, my, I've got my fire insurance. Now I can go live my life the way I want to. And it results in, in an unchanged life. Um, that that's another risk is is that unchanged life of of not repenting and and having that heartfelt sorrow for the life that you were living because you know that you you offended you you sinned against a holy God. So with that with that unchanged life, it's kind of you know it's kind of like accepting Jesus and going about your own way. Uh, so also the um, without repenting, somebody could be seeing Jesus as something like a genie, where the decision for Christ was just to get good things. Um, oh yeah, Jesus Christ is you know he's good and you know he's going to make my life better and um, I'll get all the things that I've ever wanted. And and that's that's definitely not the gospel message. He is good, but that's not why you come to Christ. You come to Christ because you realize you're a sinner, um, and and that. You're under God's condemnation, and that you're you, you're sorrowful about that, and you want to you want to be forgiven, and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then the um, the, the last thing I would consider also with this is, if you look at the parable sower, the sower, you know, will this person who has not repented fall away at the first sign of of trouble or persecution? You'll find this in in Matthew chapter thirteen, starting verse twenty. As for what was sown on rocky ground, that's the gospel message. He's, he's um, talking about the, the parable of uh, the sower, who, who the seed is like the gospel message. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So I'd say... Without repentance, this is a risk. So to summarize what I've covered here, uh, John the Baptist preached repentance. Our Lord Jesus Christ preached repentance. The Apostle Peter preached repentance. The Apostle Paul preached repentance. So it is therefore wise for us to also preach repentance because that is what God expects is made clear in the scriptures. And, and by doing so, sinful humans surrender and throw themselves upon God's mercy. And his mercy is exemplified by the sacrifice of his son to pay the penalty for those sins once for all. And please remember, please remember, turning back to Romans chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified, and the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches 
on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent and believe the good news.